This podcast is aimed at the veteran community. It hopes to recreate a conversation taking place in any NAFI anywhere in the world right now. We want to combat social isolation by letting veterans feel part of this conversation. If you're easily offended, please switch off now. And if you want to see more, please subscribe to this channel and be part of the community. Today is our first official um, podcast for Veterans in Crisis Sunland. Uh, we're lucky enough to get Mal Robinson, who is the editor of Pathfinder magazine, to come in for our first show. Mal being a local lad and a veteran, he was an ideal choice. Thanks, Mal. Cheers, Joe. Thanks for having us. No problem. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about your career in the military? I mean, I, I say military, it was in the RAF, so it wasn't really the military. Rise above the rest, mate. Uh, in the sky, mate, in the <coughs> sky. A bit like Sleazy Jet. <laughs> <laughs> Checking the better hotels <laughs> Um, no, I joined up um, Joined up late when I was 23. 23? Right. So what, you're only 24 now, aren't you? Uh-huh. These, these are great highlights, <laughs> these are. Uh, and I joined up when I was 23, after bumming around Sunderland a little bit. I thought that would have been the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I joined up uh, February 2003. Um, got sold. Got sold the world by the careers office. You're going to travel the world and this, that and the other. So I joined up. Uh, that on my dad's advice, actually. My dad was in the army. Aye. And he, he said, did. stay clear of the army. <laughs> join the RAF. He said, join the RAF. The bit more laid back, you'll suit that. Like. So I took his advice and did that. Um, I did uh, did nine years in total. Um, left in 2011. Uh, I did two tours of Afghan. Um, first one in 2006. The next one in 2008. I did Iraq the same year as well. Uh, done a little stint in Kosovo. I was in logistics, uh, basically loading the planes and then flying with them, which was a great job. Uh, got to see, done various things uh, in them nine years. Um, through, uh, flew in the back seat of Red Arrow. Aye. Out in Cyprus, posted to Cyprus for three years. Um, so you were in the back seat driver, were you? No. No, you want to be doing that, man. You want to be going to the left. I was just concentrating <laughs> on breathing. <laughs> I mean, so was it good? Was it oh, good? Right. Well, my sergeant came in at the time and he was like, oh, you need, you need to get yourself for medical. I said, I'm in dead. He says, no, no, you can't. In the back seat of uh, one of the hawks this afternoon. And he looked at his head and must have had, like, gone white or something. He's like, you do want to do it like you. I went, oh, not particularly, but... I can't not turn this chance down. It's like mm. people pay good money. Kind of, you can't lifetime, even, you can't really, even pay to do mm. it. <clears throat> so I went and did a medical and all that. And I got the briefing. And the briefing was, wasn't like the easy jet briefing, like you were saying. It was like, if your pilot goes unconscious, <laughs> uh, you need to cut the camera here. If the pilot goes unconscious, <laughs> I'm, I'm fucked. Because I'm going, I'm getting ejected. Like, uh, did they tell you where the eject button was? Like, or oh, is that I, just into the pilots? No, no, I've got one. I had one as well oh, in the back seat. So, so if you pull that, does the both of you gone? And I don't I didn't really ask. I think <laughs> it was just me. These are the questions you should have been asking. Uh, like. I wasn't. I, was just, <laughs> I think I was just uh, nervous. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, I mean, he took off, and he was just doing like there's two of us up, and he was just doing some steady. Uh, some steady flying, and he went. Oh, do you want to do some avionics? I was like, ah, whatever. And he's like, bang, bang, barrel rolls, upside down, and loop the loop. And you imagine the G force on you, like negative Gs. Oh. And I got off the, got out the plane at the end after half an hour. I was just dripping in sweat, 
And, it's uh, a bit like them ones where you used to get to Ireland. Them ones with the, <laughs> with the propellers on the side. Right, <laughs> <laughs> a bit the same. Well, I would. And he's like, oh, how was it like? I went, I'm just concentrating on breathing, man. How the hell you can fly the plane and look around and and do all your, your flying, what have you? I was just concentrating literally on breathing. Oh. It was that bad. Uh, it's remarkable. Uh, it's remarkable to think how fit the must be, isn't it? Oh, that's what I said. You know, I, it I, is because like when I for, when you when you were kidding, you say them. That doesn't even enter your mind, does it? That you've got to be fit to do that. Oh, but no, you must have to be really, really like physically fit yeah, yeah, to do that because I put some strain on your body, man. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was no word of a lie. I was absolutely knackered for like two or three weeks afterwards, just Aye. drained. Aye. And they went, that's oh, because you've you've used. A week's worth of adrenaline in half an hour. I'm like, Jesus. God, can you imagine what James Bond was like when he went round in that thing? Can you remember? Can you remember? I can't remember what James Bond film it was, but the bloke put a, uh, turned it up, uh, and he was going round <laughs> really fast. Oh, I, I, oh, yeah, I, was I, a moonraker. Moonraker, right? He'd been fucked for weeks, <laughs> wasn't he? After that. So, but, do you uh, think? Do you think that was the best experience of your career in the RAF? Um... I would say so. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, the most rewarding job I had um, was when I got posted to RAF Norfolk in London. And at first we were on like the Royal Squadron, so we were handling the Queen, uh, all the Royal Family, Prime Minister. We actually got the Polish flag upside down once for the Polish Prime Minister, but we'll come back to that one. People who thought you were football hooligans there. Nick it. But... Um, that eventually we got I got put on a unit called uh, Civil Air Detachment, which is CAD. And basically you attached at Heathrow, Gatwick, and you meet uh the called Comp Airs, Compassionate Alpha passengers. And basically one of their families on death's door back home and it's your job to get them back in time to say the final right. goodbyes. It's not a very very well known unit in the I, I I've never heard of it before. You you only you'd only come across it if if it was mm. your mum or dad or your wife or your spouse was uh, critically ill and they were about to die. Basically, they fly you back, and the job was was really rewarding. Um, you knowing that you made a difference to that person's life. Yeah, whoever was going to die in the end, but that all important blast go by. The, these guys have managed to do it, and there was all sorts. We even chartered if there was no flights. I think there's one one officer dragged him out of a firefight in Afghanistan. Still had the bloody dust on him and all sorts. Right. Like dazed, landed at Heathrow. I grabbed him, chucked him through customs. Um, and we chartered a seven, empty 737 for him to fly him up to uh, Aberdeen. He's like, where's my plane? I went, there, it's there. He says, where's everybody else? I went, it's just your plane, mate. He's oh, like, Jesus Christ. Like that. That's so, rewarding, aye, aye. Really, really rewarding. Uh, I mean... Some of the lads had that died, some yeah. of the relatives, and it turns into a comp B during transit, like, and that means that the relatives died. But luckily, I never had anything like that happen. But uh, some of the stuff that we did, and the like, the power that we had to call the shots type of thing to get these people back. And like you say, you wouldn't come across the unit um, unless your, your relative was in, in like about to die. So yeah. it was probably one of the best units in the forces, what we do was a unit that you didn't want to meet because uh, I, I feel embarrassed now seeing what my best uh, time was in the army <laughs> which draft. was uh, when the Gulf War was started the first one uh, I got posted to 
sort of got a woman's camp in Ryan Darling. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. So I think we did a month, and you, all you did was um, eight hours in three days of patrolling, and the rest of the time you had off. Yeah. And in on this camp, which was all women, you had three discos a week. I mean, for show me age now, discos. You right. know what I mean? So you had a uh, Wednesday... Friday and Saturday. Pop nights. It was brilliant, man. It was really, honestly, that, that's the, out of everything in the army, that's the bit I remember the <laughs> most. Like, it was well, absolutely great. I mean, I've had some, I have some fast, fantastic times, even like Afghan and Iraq. Mm. Just things that you, you just couldn't buy in civilian yeah. life. Well, we, yeah, we, what we see in our meetings at Vicks, everyone will say the same thing. Sort of, some really horrible stuff happened, right? But what you remember is the stuff, having a laugh about it. Yeah, you yeah. know, the dark humour that the yeah. British squaddies got, like, oh, I, yeah. in in all three services. Oh, yeah. You you, you don't get that with anyone, like, nah. you know. And I've, and I've got friends in civilian life who do really mental stuff, right? But they haven't got that kind of sense of humour. No, you know, not. even now today that something really bad happens to us, and I always see there's something funny at the side of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got attacked off fucking dogs, you know what I mean? I nearly died. And I, and I would say the funny side of that, once I was in the ambulance, you know, they said, are you allergic to it? And I said, I have fucking dog bites. Do you know what I mean? So it just shows you, the, the average British squatty, whether he be RAF, Navy or, or Army. And I don't know what it is, it's just kind of, it's not taught, is it? It's no, just no. In, you just I, get it? I, th- I think, I think what, from a personal point of view is I think people must have that to want to join the forces anyway well, do you know went... what? and then and then you just you hear horrible horrible stuff but unless if you took all that negativity on board you wouldn't be any good at your job you know I think just it, it's a certain coping mechanism to fire it away from you really isn't it well I went and did a a one day course with a guy called Nick Wood a brilliant guy does this course called the Military Human with the York St John University <laughs> and uh He's he's ex nerve and he's basically teaching like people from the NHS how to handle veterans and even just little buzzwords like oppo to understand that and they can break the ice type mm. thing. Oh, you're a veteran and I was a bit cut on with that. And I went to watch one of his seminars. Like, uh, who was that? Did you say Nick Wood? Nick yeah, Wood. He's spot on. And uh, he basically was telling obviously outsiders from the military. He said that's a big thing, you know. Um, people. It's like uh, sworn allegiance to the country mm. and to the Queen, and they're ready to put their life on the line. And I was like, I didn't even realize that. I just signed up, and yeah. you don't think until afterwards that no, no, you have I'm, actually signed up, and the just, ultimate price could be you're, you're gonna die. You're death, you're, and at the time, when I joined the RAF, it was like, I want to join you because I want to do this, that, and the other. And I knew Afghanistan had already started in 2001, and Iraq was kicking off on me past now, bread. So I knew I was aware I could have got out still, but uh, you just didn't think about it. And yeah. it's not until afterwards and you start reflecting your career and you got out years later. And I think, and I think something uh, like that, like you just kick, kicks on. You know, like, I think a lot of stuff is uh, maturity, you know. You, you sort of take stock of your life and think, you know, I could have been killed then, aye, you know. Aye. When you're when you're young and you you, know, you, you think you gotta live forever, exactly. don't you, really. I mean, it's been a few moments when I'm like. What the fuck am I doing here on the back of a Herc flying into Afghanistan? Well, exactly. With four yeah. pallets of explosives oh. and it's hurtling down. Well, this was oh, a few, a few like... times when I've been in a naffy disco and thought, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> 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 and I've got some of the pads wives in there. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I tell you what, when I've seen bigger, better blast injuries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
Nah, I've had some. Yeah, I mean, I've come out a little bit broken here and there. I think we all do, but I think I think that's part of the cause, that's isn't part it? Of the course, I, I think mean, it is. Like knackered shoulder. Yeah, this that and the other. Falling apart. Right? Yeah. I mean, I've I've suffered some mental health problems. You know, I'm, I feel I'm all right now. I keep hearing that you you never sort of cured from mental health problems, no. but you know, yeah, I've had my issues. Um, and at first, I think the first point I, I noticed something was wrong was like 2010. And I'd done Afghan already. Well, actually, I'll tell a lie. 2000, uh, 2007, I finished Afghan for the first time. Did a f- four, five-month stint. And I was in Cyprus at the time. I went back to Cyprus. And uh, this was before they had decompression and all that. They started doing that after I'd come back. Mm. And I went from... Doing like 18 hour days, running around, getting bombed, whatever, going back to Cyprus, and they just give us six weeks off like that. There's six weeks leave, and you just, everybody else went back at work. I wasn't back at home, so I was on camp, so the missus was back at work as well, and you just sat in the house thinking, what the hell have I just come from? Mm. I just went from everything to nothing, and you were like, you started getting periods of depression then. Looking mm. back now at the time, you were like, you don't uh, pick it up, do you? Uh, you and then now up, you're like, I can see trigger points, I can see yeah. that. And then that got pushed aside, went back to work. And then, like I say, I went, came back to England on the post and then went to Afghan again in Iraq. That was when I was back at Lynham in Wiltshire. And I was sat in the house and uh, went to put, just like your iPod on, your headphones. And you were like, I, can I, put, I can't put the headphones on in case somebody's going to attack us. Mm. And you were like, and you were like, oh, hang on, something's not quite right there. And it was building up and building up when I went to what posted the North Hall, like I said, doing the royal duties and that. And um they were posted there and just had a massive meltdown there. And uh went to see the, the MO and what have you. And he says, uh, I said he said, I'll oh, we'll send you to Woolwich. There's a mental health place in Woolwich. And this was two thousand and ten. So I went there. This was like six o'clock at night, got bus- rushed through London. And uh, went to see some civilian German consultant. And uh, don't mention the war. <laughs> and she was like, What did she ask? She asked a question. She said, oh, If you're going to kill yourself, how would you do it? I didn't think nothing of it. I was like, I'd probably take a load of pills or something and try and go to sleep. Obviously, now I know that you don't do that. Not that I've tried it, but. And I'd just go to sleep. Well, that was a massive trigger point for her then. But apparently, the. The official answer was, I am not going to kill myself. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to, but I was just feeling really low and in a bad place at the time. Uh, and she says, um, oh, I think you should have a couple of weeks off work and some kind of respite type of thing. And I knew there was a place in Peterborough where they sent lads, RVF lads. And it was like just like a, like a retreat type of thing and get your head together and speak to a few people and come back from there. And that's where I thought I was going. And I was like, oh, champion, that'll, and that's what I probably need. I ended up going, miscommunication, they sent us to a bloody NHS ward. Is that, was that the doctor? Is that what she was called? Uh, Mis- miscommunication. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, uh, <laughs> but um, no, they sent us to uh, an NHS ward in Basingstoke. And I went, oh, there's a military wing. Basically, there was five rooms attached onto this ward. And when I got there... It was like from one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Was it? Ah, oh, there were there was people with 
just unshaven, long hair, just walking up and down the corridor. I was like, I was like, listen, I'm not that bad. I just want to chat. <laughs> Do you want to have a couple of weeks like, off? Why no. is <laughs> Let's relax here. Yeah? So I was like, so I spoke with one of the nurses. I says, yeah, I'm not this bad. This is going to send us do lally. This is going to send us worse. And she was like, well, you're here now. You have to act normal. I says, I, I voluntarily admitted himself. He says, right, but you're here now. As in, you're not gone anywhere. I was like, fantastic. And then another, another nurse came over who was ex-forces. He went, to get out of here, you're going to have to act normal and get on with things. <laughs> All I wanted to do was go in my room then and just oh. get out of the bloody way of them. He went, no, I don't do that. He says, that's trigger sure. points and all that. Oh. I was like... <laughs> get involved. Join the dots team. So then the missus at the time, she came and she was, she was crying her eyes. I was saying, what are you doing here? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I got another assessment right here. And then took the took belt off as as I do and chew laces. Yeah, I think I've been on it eighteen or eighteen yeah. or thirty older like that, mate. And then they went, <laughs> What else have you got? In your uh, toilet bag and that says, uh, this, that and the other Gaviscon, I will take that off yeah. I said, I'm not gonna overdose on Gaviscon like yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> So I spent one night there, got the next day and there's nurses like, You're gonna have to get up, you can't uh like just lie in bed all day because they'll just think, You're not well. I was like, For God's sake. So Went and mingled with the other inmates. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eventually, cut a long story short, eventually uh, I demanded to see a doctor. Like, I says, yeah, I says, this is going to send us over the edge. Oh. This is doing more. What bad day was good. this? Was this day one still? It's, day two? This is, I don't know, where I got there about nine o'clock at night. <laughs> so this is about half nine. So this is, <laughs> oh, I tried that one. This is like. Uh, this is midday the next day after uh, I had lunch with the inmates. Uh, and somebody was like, what's your name? Mal. Well, I'm going to call you Eric. I went, call you whatever you want, mate. Long you didn't stab us. Yeah, Eric's a cunning Exactly. So after that, like, and then I had to go do art class with crayons only. weren't allowed pencils or pens. I was like, no, I didn't get stabbed with the pencil, man. I was like, me. And then what, another one? Cut on knock on my door. Do you want to come and do some activities? I was like, no, fuck off, leave us alone. <laughs> Yeah. Went to the doctor, and she was like, "I am the doctor. We want you to come, <laughs> want to come and make a smoothie." I was like, "Fucking hell!" So I went and made a smoothie, and she's, "What ingredients do you want to put in?" I said, put "Ice." Ingredients. I was like, "Fucking hell!" Put my tongue in or something. <laughs> oh, so after that, I just I was pushing us more, getting more and more wound up, and then the doctor eventually come. And she went, oh, "We're really sorry. There's been a mistake." There's like, been a massive mistake. No shit. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I'm in a bad place." And Barry Bar, but I think he's made things worse. And whatever's happened's happened. But so I rang work like, <laughs> they were like, what's going on?" I was like, "You didn't want to know." But um, I rang work, and she's like, "Are you fit for duty next tomorrow?" Then this was like midday. Still sat in the bloody NHS ward, mental ward. Which I'd been involuntarily sectioned, <laughs> and she went. I went, yeah, I'm fit to come back to work. I mean, I could have had a bit more time off, like, but I'll come back tomorrow. She went, I right, get your number ones on because you're in front of uh, HRH. I was like, you still so crayons next... all over your face. <laughs> so I goes back, uh, obviously back in my room on camp, what have you. And uh, <laughs> next day, six o'clock in the morning, there I am, stood at that, in front of the Queen. 
and boarding her flight. <laughs> Felt like saying, you should have seen where I was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you would have flipped. This actually did happen, the Queen bit, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the drugs you were taking in that ward. It wasn't Freddie either. <laughs> I've seen that uh, Shutter Island fight <laughs> with uh, Silk. <laughs> I've seen it before, you know, and this mightn't have happened, Mark. This mightn't have happened. MOD's like that. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> cut, cut. There's no way that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I, in front of the Queen. 25. I mean that I can sit and joke about it now, but well, that's what I'm saying about the dark humor. Like uh, that's obviously a properly traumatic experience. Uh, a really, really bad thing that happened in you. I mean, I'm I'm laughing. I mean, I'm not probably, laughing at you. I'm it, laughing with you. It's probably a bad advert for getting anybody who's listening who are who go through a bad time mm-hmm. to go up and speak. But this was 2010. Uh, this was things have changed now. This was without laying blame on anybody. This was like a German doctor must have been lost in translation, maybe yeah. with my accent. <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> and obviously I didn't answer the question right but yeah, um, exactly but I've had help since when I, uh, I left the RAF in 2011 and, and I landed a job straight away my reason for leaving was at the time it was MOD cut, MOD cut at the time 2011 and um, me mate who was my boss in Iraq says there's a job in Afghan if you want to come out here mega pop star wages type of thing which don't last but you think they're gonna last and you're like uh yeah yeah so literally went there went to admin and i was like how long do i need to notes do i give these days when obviously as long as you've got a job lined up you're gonna leave within days i was like shit this is getting a bit real now like aye. used to be a year didn't it and all oh, sorts yeah, yeah. i mean i didn't know what was because that was in the army yeah. it was a year which is quite army. ironic i'm now <laughs> editor of a resettlement magazine but my resettlement was probably one workshop and I went and got a job moved went left the RAF three days later I was in Dubai on uh, on my way to Afghanistan uh, working for a logistics company out there which was fantastic for me not only was it yeah I was out in Kabul worked in Kabul for eight months but um, it was all ex-military so the camaraderie was still there you know mm. what I mean so you're still in that military bubble earning better money and having a laugh and all, and, mm. and not getting all the orders and all oh, that as well. Hassle. So it was fantastic for me. And you were getting to do stuff like, we were, we were loading planes, like just light aircraft and flying different places in Afghanistan. It was fantastic. And we'd fly with the planes and what have you. And the South African pilots were absolutely nuts, crazy. And they'd give us a go sometimes and let us have a fly of the planes when <laughs> there was no passengers on. Well, yeah, just, I have a go. And, and I think it was, we did a contract with somebody. It was basically legal gun running. <laughs> From Aye. Kabul, from Kabul down to Kandahar, and um, might be a film in this what, one. Oh no, might be uh, a film in this. Anybody watching? Spielberg Aye. or Aye. He's, he's out now and he's Aye. finished. Uh, who's the new ones these days? No, I don't. Let's get Danny Boyle to do that. Danny Please. Boyle, let Danny me go Boyle, well, Danny Boyle, it'll be funny. Aye. I can see uh, who could who could play you. Do you think? I don't think Jason, uh, Jason Statham. I think. Uh, uh, I was thinking more Danny DeVito. I was thinking more Ronnie Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're picking, we're, we're picking all the toppers here, mate. We're picking all the toppers here. <laughs> um, no, but going back to Afghanistan, when I left the RAF, um, I, like I say it was just it was a good time and I hadn't really hit that resettlement phase mm. yet because I was still with the lads type thing. We were in a bar every night. There was a, We were lived out other bases for this company that lived on camps like in Kandahar and Bastion and all that so that they were all dry Kabul was the only one typical for me mm. that had a, its own bar and, a, and like it was called the Green Village it was away from Kandahar airport 
uh, Kabul Airport, sorry. So we were on the piss every night. So it was just like being on a job, on exercise yeah. or not, what have you. So it was fantastic. And it wasn't... And then from there, I got into media and publishing. And one of the jobs was actually working from home type of thing. How did, how did that happen, though? Because that's a bit of a... Bit of a changing career, you know. That's a long story, I know. No, oh, well, we're only doing this for an hour, so can you come that, out it's short? Got, it's got a southern connection, now, so that's oh. good. Well, I was cheeky uh, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> um, I was in Kabul, and one of the lads usually get trained up all the time to stay in, in line with like aviation qualifications, what have you, loading planes, what have you. And one of the trainers came out from a different company, and he was XRF in my trade as well, and he was from Trimden, Sunderland fan. He walks in the office with a big sun on flag behind us. He went, who's that? I went, fine. Obviously got on like a house on fire. He liked going on the piss as well. Um, I gave him, I was doing a magazine at the time just as a hobby uh, called 73. It was a Sunderland, like a retro, I say a fanzine, but it was really well produced. We had a good designer and a good writing team. But you were doing it? I did it and I started doing it in the math. I was, right. I've always been involved in writing and in media somehow. don't know why. Um... So I did that, and I said, oh, give one of them, yeah, have one of the magazines, see if you like them, take it away with you. He said, oh, I'll show it to me boss. I don't know who his boss was. Um, anyway, he came back out again, do some more training. He said, oh, my boss wants to see you in Dubai. And we had to go to Dubai every month to renew our, like, working visas. So I had two days in Dubai, it wasn't too bad yeah. from Afghan. So next time I went to Dubai, I said, oh, I'll arrange a meeting with him, sat down and he said, tell us about the magazine. He was a Sunderland fan as well. Just turns out he was a multi-millionaire, lived on the palm, had his own logistics company. I was like, Jesus. And it turned into, this meeting turned into Dragon's Den, which I was unprepared for. Mm. But it was fine. And at the end of it, he went, oh, I want to buy half the company and make you managing director. And at the time, Afghan contracts were not coming to a close, but there was a lot of change around and stuff going on. And they sent us from Kabul to... I was on leave, and they went shutting Kabul down. Now, I don't know if this had anything to do with me drawing all of my boss when he was pissed, and he ended up like a smurf in this meeting. Yeah. Them, them crayons you brought from the hospital? Them ones, I. Oh. And I covered him in ink when we were both drunk, <laughs> and he went, to the, <laughs> he went to this meeting with all the regional managers and looked like a smurf. So I don't think... It was a couple of days later they decided to close Kabul down, and that might be to be coincidence. I'm not, I don't know. Could have been, mate, could have been. But... Uh, I was on leave and, the, and what did I do with this? I said, I'll go to Bastion with the British lads. That's fine. I don't mind. I'll, yeah, I'll go to Drybud. And they sent us to, um, oh, I can't think of the bloody place, Bagram, which was an American base. It was an old Soviet base. It's an American base now with loads of Filipino workers as well. And I was like, so I got sent there. It was just absolutely no crack. Like, Americans is all right, but they were all quite rigid type of mm. thing. It's just living in the outside in the ISO container in the bloody winter and I was like I've had enough of this like the high life's gone like with the bar and couple so it was coming down rewinding down to an end anyway so it was a good time for me and I ended up like I say it was a working from home job really running three or four different football magazines one was for Sunderland and we expanded at the Rangers in England and did like a League Cup final magazine as well so it did really well but it was it was it was then that I noticed that I went from home, you kind of missed everybody. Mm. I think I had gone to a different job. It might have buffered it a little bit, but it went from, again, everything to nothing. And then I've had a different job since. Uh, and it was, I think it was kind of, 
it was about a year, a year and a half ago now, where I noticed a few incidents had happened, and like it was in, uh, what was one of the times, it was in, it was in Edinburgh, just for a, a weekend away with the family, and I didn't know the one o'clock guns guns off. Is <laughs> it one o'clock or twelve o'clock guns? Fucking <laughs> cannons gone off. So they go off, and I'm on the bloody, I'm on the floor. All the family's laughing. But for that, before that was literally five seconds. Time had slowed down, mm. and I thought, you know, like the terror attack type thing. I thought something was happening. Then it's capital city of Scotland. Something's going to happen here. And it was them five seconds slowed into about a minute for me, and laughed it off as you do. Mm. Uh, then you had the background and all that type of thing, explosions. That happened. I went to, uh, ironically, went to watch the Killers concert in Newcastle. I was already getting myself wound up anyway because I didn't like being around. The only time I like being around crowds is at the match. Because uh. it's an environment that I've grown up in and um, I feel safe there, if that makes sense. Mm. But any other time, don't like crowds. Don't like going to London now. I hate going to London. Mm. Well, London's not a nice place oh, anyway, no, is it? It's not, it's not, not a great place. Nice I mean, used to we, live there? I used, to, I used to live obviously there. Obviously, it was alright for the two cup finals we went to. Uh, cup sorry. final and the uh, playoffs. So, well, I can't remember. <laughs> I just remember going twice. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I used to live in London, but if I've got to go down to London now, I'll try and get out of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is sad, really, but... It's it sad because it it's your capital city, you yeah. know, and it's... I mean, I'll tell you another story. I did have to go down to London, so I was panicking about that. This was in between before I got any treatment. So I'm getting myself stressed out about going out to London. And I got a later train. I'd open tickets, but I got a later train. I was supposed to be going to meet somebody. Um... Do not go to the magazine. And I get a few texts of people. Are you still on the way to London? Why? This is like Peterborough area on the way down. Why? There's been an explosion. I was like, you kidding me? This is like what I've been fearing type mm-hmm. thing. Whereabouts? Tube station, Parsons Green, that Parsons Green where you've set it off. Mm. That's the fucking tube station I was getting off at. Why? Oh, well, you can imagine it was like that. It was like, just went cold. I was like, shit, if I'd got that earlier train. I mean, nobody was killed, but Yeah, well, it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, the effect on your mental health, uh, it's so just as bad anyway. I text the boss, like, and I says, it's going to be on shutdown. Anyway, I can't get anywhere near the offices. There's around the corner from Parsons Green. And I'd opened tickets. It was literally in King's Cross, 16 minutes. Got on the train back to mm. Newcastle. I was like, uh, and you're just constantly on alert then, just looking around, and is there another, a second device, or you... It's just just crazy, yeah. like, but, but yeah, and then like I say, I went got anyway going back to the Killers concert, so I was getting myself wound up about going to that. Um, even just stuff stuff about the 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 Manchester concert, what mm-hmm. happened, the place through your mind. Having been out with your military uh, turmoil and all that as well, just plays on your mind, doesn't it? So I got myself absolutely polite, didn't I? But the Long Island iced teas and all that lethal them, aren't they? Where, where was it in the in the it's arena? In Newcastle, in Newcastle what? Arena. That'll have been fucking cheaper. Uh. Long Island, fucking hell. <laughs> no, no, I had, I had drinks before I got in. Oh, so right. I'm gonna have to have a few sherbets here to get in. So I had about five Long Island iced teas as you do, oh. which didn't uh, mix very well with me mood. And uh, don't know. Thought I'd heard an explosion in my mind, and disappeared. Left the missus there with her sister and brother-in-law and uh, came to in a taxi come back down towards Testo's around about, about into Bolden 
He's like, where do you want to be? Where are you going? I was like, literally come back around like I've been, uh, I don't know. Like, eh? I was like, shit. I was like, I'll just take us home back to Southern London. Not to make light of that story, but which album was it? Because if it was the second album, every footballer would have left. Well, no, it was when the good stuff was coming on. Oh, it was right. the bright side, which oh, is my right. signature tune. It's your, is it, is it oh, your yeah. signature tune, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut to the signature tune. Let's Put that in. Put that in now. When he comes on, put that in. <laughs> we'll peer. We'll peer. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, well, that's what's going on. I'm trying to ring and see where you are. You're not answering. Uh, no, it's even, on. It's I on. Your tune's right on. Side. I can hear uh, all the good stuff's on. Uh, all the early stuff. Uh, I was like, this is our tune. Where are you? She was obviously she was pissed off. I livid. Nah. And then next day she came around and she was like, I just explained. She was like, Yeah, right, enough's enough now. Like, this mm. Edinburgh was the killer's concert. And then something else happened again. I woke up in a, a trance in the pub car park after not having an argument with her. I was in the house though. <laughs> <laughs> so, you just like, enough's enough. I rang uh, Combat Stress. Um, but the, probably the worrying and annoying thing was the amount of people I got passed around to. That's I was just gonna. Yeah. I was just gonna ask you there what what your experience was because people won't know this, but the hardest part is to ask for help. <laughs> veterans, I work with veterans every day, and the hardest part is that first initial asking for help because once you ask for help, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. You, but that, you've got it off your chest. Yeah, yeah that up first you, that first thing. That. It's the it's a horrible. I can't explain that, that you get a pain in your chest, you, your stomach's mm. turning, yeah. and it is really, really horrible. <clears throat> so if if people ask, do that and ask for help, because I won't name the services, but these services that people have done that, and then they've just messed them around, mm. and if it's took all, everything you've got to ask for help, yeah. and nobody helps you, yeah. or you just get messed around, it's a fucking oh, yeah. heartbreaking, yeah, yeah. you know? I so, mean, we can imagine, we can imagine me, I, I think I mentioned it, a year earlier to this NHS helpline I can't for life of us think what it was and at the time I was going through a custody battle for me me children like and I didn't want to go any further because I thought this could be used against us mm. Um, I could lose me kids yeah. even just saying the wrong word so it's I, bizarre isn't I, it so I just left that I thought my kids is more important mm-hmm. so I left that on one side and then obviously this time when I rang combat stress it was all sorted I, got 50 50 custody of the kids which is great but you still go through your mind you think if i say the wrong thing again then i might get social services and yeah. might think he's a looper yeah. uh it's not all there he's got ptsd or whatever or... that's that's one of the reasons you don't ask for help when you're in the military because uh-huh. you if you did ask for help you would never get promoted exactly yeah and there would be a mark on you or you would never get any further and that's sad really and he's this stigma needs to change yeah it, well it does need yeah. and, and i hope by doing things like this yeah. and both us Admitting to have mental health problems. I mean, I couldn't have done this year and a half ago. No? I couldn't have sat here with this going out no? online, talking to you. Uh, but like I say, once I spoke to somebody and I've spoke to people since I've had the treatment, mm. which I'll get on to, you can, I can sit back and it's it's very bizarre. It's, it's, it's like not, the you know, shoulders, it, 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 and the thing is, uh, the embarrassment shouldn't be there. Mm. You know, it, it's not embarrassment. Everyone... It's got mental health problems. Every single person must, at like, some stage, have been depressed. Well, I eventually got treatment, which it took us about six months to get treatment, which apparently is not too bad in the grand scheme of things. Mm. I've heard horror stories of other people, but still six months too long. It's too, it, it too long, man. It, it, it should be, basically, if you, like I said about the experience of asking for help, if you ask for help, it should 
start from there. Yeah, yeah. So the sort of thing what we have in Vix, and this isn't an advertisement for Vix, but what we do if some if we get in a referral, we'll guarantee we'll speak to someone within twenty four hours. Yeah, that's what you, you know. Need, yeah. you, you need to speak. It, it, nothing might happen in twenty four hours, but we'll speak to them and say, yeah. "Listen, we, we understand," mm. and then he's an appointment. Yeah. But we will we'll speak to them because we will find that you can go to all the services and people will say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you've referred," but it'll be four weeks before you get an appointment. Now, mm. f- four weeks. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs or anything, mental health, or all three, yeah. four weeks is a long time, man. Oh, yeah, a long time, man. Four hours is a long time. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of getting to a relationship breaker at the time, if I didn't sort yeah. myself out. All right. So, like I said, I ran combat stress, and yeah, the guy at the end of the phone was, was brilliant, fantastic. Um, but again, it was like, right, we're going to pass you on to... Uh, uh, help for heroes and then they did a good job but you, you ended up it was not just those two organisations there was a few organisations mm. involved and it was basically you repeat yourself on the phone right we're going to ask you a few questions you've asked them that but I haven't yeah. got it on yeah. and you're like am I getting listened to it? Yes. but eventually um, they put us in touch with the V is it V walls and it V walls uh, yeah it's called uh, Tills now which is the, walls, it's yeah. a transition intervention liaison service uh, so through someone in NHS and uh, eventually got, I had a chat with the the practitioner or whatever they're called, mm, and just set out a story of my life type of thing and and then things that happened since I left. The, like my dad had cancer five years, suffered for five years, and eventually passed away. And the ironic thing was, after I did all that job for CAD and got people to say the goodbyes, I but he missed him dying. Didn't did you? I was like, are you someone somewhere taking the piss? Mm. But uh, you, well, just... uh, mine died in front of us, no. so you don't fucking want that one. Uh, I tell you, that is that is a kick in the nuts, mate. I tell uh, you, that is a proper kick in the nuts. But uh, after I explained everything and Afghan, what we're done, people go because that was another thing I didn't want to come forward and say things. So I knew people had been on the proper front line. Yeah, and then. I think I've talked to you about it before. Yeah, I, I and hear people it. people go, but he was in the raffle, did he say? I hear it all, every day, man. It doesn't matter, right, if somebody's had the most horrendous experience, they always think somebody else has had a worse yeah. one. And and that it's a veteran thing because I worked in the homeless sector before this and people are completely different where veterans are always, there's got to be somebody worse than me, mm-hmm. give that help to somebody yeah, else. Yeah. It's always, it always seemed like that. So I thought... But everyone, everyone's entitled to the same... Mm-hmm help everyone should get the same service plus like since what she's explained is everybody's got a different uh levels of mental unbalance exactly exactly but like i said i felt embarrassed to on that part to jump in front of other people that mm. seen other stuff but then when embarrassment plays a massive part uh, doesn't it uh, does uh, but once i'd explained it to her and we'd done stuff like lifting dead bodies all the time mm. repatriation You'd have nightmares of them coming to life type of thing and you explain all these things. And she was like, it's perfectly normal. She says, mm. me sitting here and I was an outsider, that sounds, you're going to, uh, like a computer, going to crash at some stage. Cause the- yeah, yeah, man, you, you're human at the end of the day. You know, people have emotions. Things happen and, and you know, different breaking points for everyone. Mm. Just because somebody else can manage to do that certain thing, it doesn't mean everyone can. And then she says it's things like your dad dying, the court case for your kids. Mm. These are all triggers that it might have just been lying dormant in your mind for years mm. and years and years. Been, you know there's something It's like wrong. a layering just, system, uh, isn't it? So it, there's that one, there's that one, there's that one, there's that one, and then that one breaks you. Yeah, and it's like a, like a stress level system and 
these stressful events have brought the past stressful events back to life again. Mm. Um, I mean, they expend a bit than I can, but eventually, I mean, we did a few tests, uh, not with anything on my head or anything like no, that. No, no. It doesn't no. happen. Need crayons. Um, no, need need crayons, crayons on your head this time. Need crayons either. But, um, and then the tests revealed that I had high levels of PTSD, high levels of um, GAD, which is the oh, anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah. Uh, general anxiety disorder, which was feeding, they were both feeding off each other. Uh, the PTSD was, I was like, hypersensitive, always on alert type mm. of thing. And then the depression, people don't want to, depression's a dirty word, maybe I want to mention mm. it. PTSD is a Gucci word. It's great, depressions. Man. It's great, everyone wants to, everyone wants to mention PTSD. The part of the, uh, part of the depression part, not everyone's got PTSD, you know, and uh, people can get depressed it's, it's, and it's, fucking horrible mm-hmm. it is horrible I spent years in my house right after I mean I made a joke about the dog attack after that happened and I had a serious back injury and I spent a lot of time in, in the house on my own because my partner was at uni and uh, I was in like chronic pain really really bad pain and I ended up addicted to Tramadol I was oh, yeah. taking a uh, diazepam uh, and I was drinking Oromorph I was smoking weed and I was drinking alcohol all at the same time and it, it it got so bad that I, like it, I was going to tap me on life. Yeah. That's how bad it got. Yeah. You know? Even now I'll have... We'll go back to it, but like you said at the start about managing your mental health mm. now. And I've learnt that. I've had I've had my treatment of, uh, of the clinicians and what have you. But I've had episodes again where I've bit the drink maybe too much or... And drinks, massive, like wine. Wine's terrible for me. Uh, I'll have, red? Either. Or mixed. <laughs> rosier. <laughs> mixed with rosier. Have four. You've got the hospital to go, how many units do you have? How many is that in the bottle? <laughs> oh, so four or five. Is that units? I went, that's bottles. <laughs> As I brought one's a bottle of wine, so you've got to finish it, haven't you? Oh, well, I, think, I, think like vinegar. I think that's a rule. But, um, I don't know where to wrote it down, but I'm sure that's a rule. But wine now, I'm really conscious of wine. I'll have a, a share of a bottle. Until I have a bottle, uh, still, but I know that's my limit. And uh, I've uh, started drinking loads of wine all night, and the next day, the de- de- depression and anxieties through the roof, like so. Mm. And I know that's and gin and all that's fine. So I know what to drink, and it's not about people think, oh, if if I get treatment, whatever, I've got to cut out this, that, and the rest of my life. No, you don't. You just manage it better. Mm. That's all, and you know the signs to look out for and. That's what they teach you at uh, different treatment stages, and yeah. what to look out for, and how to manage your own mental health. Well, I give when when it'll actually be ten years on uh, New Year's Eve coming up. Like I gave up smoking weed, all painkillers, drinking everything, and uh, after about I had the fucking worst six months of my life. To be honest, like it was horrendous because I'd smoked weed every day for about twenty years before that. So getting to sleep, and I I say this to people and they think I'm exaggerating, but I really didn't have any sleep for that six months because I was that used to being full of opiates and smoking that I was asleep. Um, No sleep. We're talking like 20 minutes even now, you know. It was horrible, horrible. But once I sort of got through that six months, I started drinking again, but only a little bit, you know what I mean? And now I drink socially on a weekend. I mean, I'm having this now tonight because we're doing this. But I try to only drink on a weekend, like you normally because I support Sunderland and 
you need to drink. <laughs> oh, you know I what I mean? Know. You need to drink. And oh, I, I enjoy it, but I, what I didn't want, what I didn't, because I'd give up everything else, I didn't want to give up that as well, because I, I, I like it. I like yeah. drinking. I like the taste of alcohol, because I only drink tea, water, or lager. That's all I drink. I don't mm. like pop or, yeah. you know, any kind of juice or anything that's, like that. That's the, I think that's one of the main things you've got to get across as well. It's not about... No, I've had treatment. I can't enjoy the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. It's not about that. Well, you're just getting your head sorted. There's not, there's not really much point in having a life no, if you're not going to you be enjoying enjoy it, it, is it? Know. You know what I mean? And yeah, you can get drunk. I've been drunk lots of times. Mm. Uh, been to the match, another few drinks. So, but it's just like you said, it's just about managing it. It is. I mean, uh, so being sociable with it. Exactly. Like what I what I always say to me clients is like I'm, I never, and this is one thing I always stick to. I never tell people not to drink, not to take drugs. Not to do things. I think once you start saying that, you're preaching to people. Yes, like, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's it is not me. You know, I'm I'm nobody's mum. I'm not saying you've got to do stuff. So, what I say is, if you think about it, people, a a sort of average person, doesn't get up in the morning and have a drink. No. You know, no. but an average person might come in from work seven o'clock have a glass of wine. Yeah. So if you could manage all day without having a drink and then have a drink on a night, you know, it's not it's not the end of the world. But some people can't seem to do that some people have a kind of a thing that they think they've got a drink yeah. and you haven't and it fixed we try to like make fill your day yeah. we fill your day with stuff to do mm. so the idea is in you can't come when you've been drinking to any of the activities yeah. or taking drugs you can't do anything so if you've done that that's spoiled your day yeah so if you're coming you can do all sorts we do i mean we're gonna adventure training and everything it's like being in the army again yeah. and, you, and then you can have a drink after you know I mean, we went up to Alan's Heads with their springboard training last two weeks ago. And we had a we had a night up there, did two days adventure training, and we had I took Bex Blue the alcohol free stuff for them to drink, and then on the on the night we went to the pub, bar two pints, that was it, two pints, and everyone was happy. And that, that them are people who see they really really need a drink, but they didn't drink anything, no. but they had two pints on the night, and that that was all. But they were that knackered because we'd been gorge walking and hill walking and stuff like that. Right. They managed to go to bed, you know. Right. And and I, to me, that's that's like a, a, a victory, mm. you know. It's a victory for not just them, for us as well, you know. That like you show people you you don't have to get pissed, no. you know. The whole idea of the do the meeting at the Gunners Club in Mary Street. You've you've been along. Is when I started that and I wanted to do it. People were saying, you can't do that because it's in a pub, right? But me, my idea was to say to people, you can go into a pub and drink tea and coffee yeah. and have some free Greg's food. Yeah. You don't have to drink. Yeah. And people did sort of struggle when they first went in because of the smell and, you know. But now, it's, yeah. it's brilliant, it's, you know. Yeah. Of course, it's a habit, but it's also a habit just to have something in your hands sometimes as well. Exactly, yeah. Come back from work or have a cup of tea in your hands or, yeah. or go and do something. When I was smoking weed, yeah. that's a habit. Yeah, I would be... You would have something to eat, and I would smoke, and then you would. I'd need a drink because then I was drinking yeah. lager. Because it just, sounds tough because it's a habit anyway. Because you uh, are addicted, yeah, at some point, I suppose. But you are also addicted just to to doing it, chatting and, and like, doing it, and lifting your hand. And... My last, she smokes like cigarettes, and uh, she says, "Oh, I, I only have it when I'm when I have a drink." She fucking drinks every night. You know what I mean? <laughs> drinks every night. So she's always having a fag. And then I'll say, when I, well, you know, you didn't have to have one. I know, but I like one when I'm having a drink. But, well, you know, it's have a drink and thing, not have a thing. Right. So it's, all right. I mean, what, what I would say to, as long as you sort of, 
everything in moderation. Yeah. It, that you is the, the own, point I'm trying to get. Everybody across. knows their own mind and know, know their yeah. own body. The, they're the best person that can yeah can uh, manage it. Like, so and I, I, I don't like the the preaching, like you said there. Yeah. I don't like that. Well, that was a good thing when I went for my treatment, and she was NHS, and I was like, "Hey, we go." I only not much to drink. Oh, probably too much, but a bit like that. Uh, only fools and horses. <laughs> no, no, sherry at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Here we go." She went. That's up to you. She says, "I'm just explaining though that wine is probably one of the worst drinks for you for anxiety <laughs> next day. Anxiety hangover, she called it." I was like, "You're right." Uh, but she says, "Up to you. It's your life." She was, and I was like, oh, "That's fantastic." Mm. I was expecting to go there and getting preached at no, yeah. thing, and it was, that was refreshing. And then we did something called uh, EMDR treatment. Uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, it's your eye movement, isn't it? Eye movement, uh, right. synchronisation type right. thing. Uh, which I was like, what the hell is all this? Like? And it was like buzzers in your hand and without going too much into it. Um, but we had to discuss like, uh, traumatic events in your life. Mm. The first one, the worst one, and your last one. Could have just been, for me, it was like a car crash. Wasn't a bad car crash. Somebody went backwards, but it was still traumatic. Mm. It was most recent, uh, and you just work your way through that as you would uh, like uh, doing the eye movements type of thing, and yeah, it worked. It Did it? Aye, it was. I cannot knock it. Like uh-huh. it felt. She says, "Oh, you'll have like nightmares and whatever on the night of that treatment," which and you felt drained afterwards because you were concentrating so much, and you were getting in a little bit of a trance, I suppose, because I'm. They tried hypnotising us on the RF uh, for treatment, and I was like... This, I was well, I thought you meant like in the nappy now, and you've got to eat a fucking uh, an onion. They <laughs> <laughs> used, used to get to it like... Uh, <laughs> I felt hypnotised when I used, used to have a man beam and a nappy. It was like all the white spirits topped uh, up with something else. I was like, ah, oh, you felt hypnotised then. Uh, but um, uh, this guy tried to... He wasn't the best of... Was he, uh, was he like a little bit looking at my eyes? Just looking at my eyes. I went, it's not working, mad. <laughs> no, no. Just stop it. Eh? This was it's six stop. sessions in, I was like. <laughs> You're showing yourself up, are you? You're showing yourself up. <laughs> you stop there. But, uh, but I, yeah, you've got to kind of commit to it and get yourself into it and get into the mind for mm. Uh Probably the only downside to it was you had like an hour session and... You were bringing up all these memories, and then they were like, Right, you're finished, you walk out of it. I see you later. <laughs> Gone home now and think about the one. Which a couple of times won't like the uh, At the time, I lived with the kids, and the kids weren't there that night. And you were like, All right, this is not good. Type no. thing. You were having a few moments again, and but you just, she'd already told you a few coping mechanisms, mm. so you were like, Right, and once you can control an anxiety attack, you feel brilliant. You do, mate. Because you're the boss then. You're like, you talk to yourself, you can feel it coming on, you know Mm. what to look for, you know the signs and symptoms. And then once you can, like, talk yourself out of it type thing, because you only talk to your mind and, like she taught me, it's your mind that's in a habit of doing it to yourself. If you can retrain your mind, not sounds crackers, but if you can do that and get into a, a positive habit of not doing it, Easy said than done, granted, but you keep on doing it and talk yourself out of it, the easier it becomes. I've had, because I've had anxiety attacks since and moments since. It's not a quick fix. I, th- I, th- I think that it's probably going to, you'll probably have that for the rest of your life. I mean, I, I still have them now. You know, I, I hide it really well. Mine, because obviously I deal with people who, who 
like I said earlier, I, I think's worse than me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I just go quiet. Yeah, I, just... I, I can deal with it. I, I, I feel it happening. Like the missus will yeah. leave us alone. Just... Well, it's normally women's fault, to be uh, quite honest. Probably, They bring it on, I right. <laughs> 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 leaving stuff, leaving stuff around, man. Exactly. Fucking who, who's not doing the washing up? We'll have to do all that. Yeah, I mean. Cut that one out, Grace. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but you can, and that's a support of somebody since, and they're like, "How's your treatment gone?" Quite open about it. They've gone through same stuff, not same treatment, but and uh, they were like, oh, "How's it going?" And and she, they were having a bad time. And she was like, oh, do you think we'll ever get, like, uh, cured? I mean, it's not, uh, it's not like I, an illness or disease. No. It's just caught with mechanisms. Yeah. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a thing you can be cured of. Like, no. I mean, I don't want to, if anyone's watching this and they're at home, sort of fucking depressed. I don't want to depress you more by saying you're never going to get cured. But, like, I mean, I mean look at us having a laugh about it, exactly. you know I what I mean? Like, like, I could have done this a year and a half ago. I would say to anybody who is listening or watching is talk to somebody about it, even if anybody, your friend, your, somebody from the, or come to Vicks or whatever, just talk to somebody about it, your family member, because like we said earlier, once you do that first one, mm. it's, 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 oh, it's not easy, it's just oh, no, a lot easier. But well, once you've done that first initial, someone's not quite right, yeah, no. I need, need a bit of a chat. It's, it, 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 it comes it, off it, your chest, then. It's, it's, it's now to be embarrassed about. No, no. Now no, at all, you know. I mean, we can, we're fucking laughing about it now. No. I mean, like, years ago, I was, like, trying to be Jack the Lab by fucking tapping loads of gear and smoking weed and everything's great. And, and, and then, but when you go back to your house mm. and you're in by yourself, that's it. everything's not great. And you know what I mean? And that's and booze. Just, you know, uh, it's a shit, man. And so, if... If that is happening to anyone, I would suggest they just speak to anybody, somebody about it. Speak to anybody. Yeah. If not a family member, then, I don't know, fellow veteran or, yeah. or anybody. Well, I find, um, I find now that sort of our clients, I mean, Joe, Joe the lad who sort of runs Tile Image um, and he produces this podcast, he said to me, um, what's different about Vix is every other service purposely keeps clients away from each other because of kind of you know they don't want people mixing because of confidentiality and stuff like yeah. that but where vix purposely puts people together yeah. and i didn't even think of that but, but my thought was to put people together so people are not isolated and people yeah, you get yeah, that yeah. sort of camaraderie back because yeah. i don't know about you but that's the only thing i miss about the military well that was another thing when i went to see nick wood going back to nick wood at york university again and he was saying different elements that a veteran or somebody leaving the military is going to experience, but it's all right to experience it. Mm. It's bound to happen. And he mentioned isolation. And it wasn't until then I realised that I had been isolated, yeah. working from home, yeah. working in different jobs, people that didn't understand. Well, me, I, w- I was isolated, but I had a partner, but she was at university all day and I was mm. laid up in bed with me back. Yeah. So... You, you don't assume that you're isolated because you live with someone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. bizarre, you know. Yeah. I know I had a client that he, when he came, it was he, he, he showed all the symptoms of being isolated, but he had a, a, a quite a, a few kids and and a um, partner. And once we got into it, it was like, oh, yeah, well, they're out all day, but then when they come in, they all gone into a different room. Yeah, exactly. And so, he, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it, you, I, I don't know what the exact um, sort of study was, but... It's been proven now that social isolation 
is like the equivalent of drinking whiskey and smoking 20 fags uh-huh. on your health uh-huh. a day. You know, I mean, how bizarre is that? The human contact, you know, interaction. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely. so easy to have, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, hopefully, this, this kind of doing this to the veteran community, anyway, I mean, anybody can listen to this, but the veteran community will pick up on this podcast and the stuff we're trying to do and they'll not feel isolated, they can phone in. You'd be surprised in all walks of life how many people's out there sat in isolation. Mm. Some may not even realise it. Yeah, know. well... I that, hadn't. That, well, that's I, I hadn't. I kind of knew I was working from home and I was doing different jobs and... Did and, you think your drinking um, got more because you work from home? Because I just asked this because I've got a friend, obviously I'm not going to name him, but he worked from home but then, because his family came in, he went out every night. Uh, and and it was like the opposite of being out all day at work and then coming home. But it, he sort of went out and then he ended up like drinking 10 pints a night. Uh, you know? well, at the time, my daughter, she was only, she must have been 18 months, two year old, so. And then part of the time would come in. Um, there wasn't a case. I'd, sometimes I would go out at the pub. It wouldn't be a lot because obviously I then take turns looking after her, really. Yeah. So she was, to be honest, the kids at times have been like a saving grace at times. Uh. Like, not that you think of anything doing anything stupid. Sometimes it would, it wouldn't cross your mind. Oh, I'm gonna go and kill myself. But you think, yeah, I'm not though. Uh, surely I'd be daft thoughts. I'm surely I might be better off mm. just not being here type thing. Nothing like I am gonna do it. Uh. With thoughts like that, and then you think. You know what? I could never do that. With my kids, they're there, or my family. But obviously, your own kids. You like living with a stigma that your father's killed yourself type of thing as well. And they were always had to be back of mind, even through the darkest bits. Like I could never do that to them type of thing. I feel really bad at the time, but mm. you just uh, it's a vision. Just going on a side tangent there, like. But, oh no, no. But, I mean, um, we're talking about, but I mean, let's let let's move away from. Anything that's gonna depress our listeners, <laughs> all right? Let's let's talk about football, right? Because we support support Sunderland, there's no way we can be depressed about what's happening at the moment. What with the world's richest football club? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, Sunderland. Aye, Sun. Obviously, the Man City is gonna be the second richest football club, yeah. and we'll be the first. That's, I mean, uh, obviously, people watching the the lads from Dell uh, looking to take over. Yeah. Wait. Pretty much are signed and sealed, so now I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's all come through the Netflix documentary as well. Yeah, uh, bizarrely I do as enough, well. I do. As I mean, well. at the time, so if Netflix are watching, come and do a documentary about us. Fix, yeah, yeah. Um, on Pathfinder, <laughs> we'll get on the Pathfinder. Then. Um, no, I think it's great because a lot at the time. I mean, the club two relegations has been absolutely ah. Uh, that hasn't helped the city or the area to speak no. so depression. Not not just the way not just the relegation but the way it's come about and just shot and performing I mean the championship season for the the documentary yeah. season was oh, unbelievable. I found it fascinating to watch Netflix and to see the behind of the scenes footage and the likes of Martin Byrne and all it's absolutely fucking clueless mm. how to run a football club. It was absolutely Amazing in a bad way to watch how uh, bad it was, even with any business. It's like, oh, wait. Uh, well, my the turning, I mean, I've supported Sunderland since I was well, supported as in went to the match since I was 14. And um, the David Moyle season 
fucking honestly I mean, my, my first fuck season my life was, man that was my first season was Matt Melamy season uh, but that was I mean I was only a kid then so uh, I remember fuck so, my few, whole life man, that was, was the worst uh, I live five minutes walk from the stadium and I had to force myself to go into the match a season ticket roller you know it was horrendous like but um, the turnaround I mean Stuart Donald the owner now and well, he's, he's good crap, man, isn't he? He's, um, he's, he's been, he gets, been great. He, he, he gets, gets him a lot of stick. He gets a lot of stick, and I don't know why. I don't know why. The people think he the chances. But, but he's, somebody said... He's, that, somebody, said that we could have been like Bury yeah, or Bolton. Yeah. Bolton, I mean, Bolton's survived by the skin of the teeth, but they're in a bad way. Somebody said the other day on Twitter or, or somewhere, Facebook, some social media, says like, oh, them two have just come in, might have a bit of money, and then they're gone. But listen... Didn't, isn't that what you do when you're going to work? Exactly. You're going to work, you make some money. You know what I mean? Exactly. Business. It's still a risk. It could have... It could have went the other way. Well, they still haven't been promoted, but they've had a, a decent season last, mm. last season. I remember we went to Wembley twice. Exactly. You know, I mean... Just to get the togetherness with the, the fans. Fe- the feel-good factor uh, came oh, back, you know. The feel-good factor. Massively. People were happy going to the matches. Exactly. I mean, the football was shit, but the, the feel-good factor uh, was good, you know. Yeah, and yeah, you had a reconnection yeah, with the fans. And, 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 and oh, that sounds corny, bud. And the, the fact that they do shows like this, and, no. the, you know, they talk, and that Charlie got... watching Stuart and come on the big podcast. You can, mate. Come on. You and Charlie. Well, get the veterans in. I don't know if we'll be able to get enough drink for Charlie. <laughs> Give him a run for his money. We'll have to do it in the week, Chief. It's a glass of supply by the week, Chief. <laughs> but, um, no, and then for the Netflix documentary, it would be such a bad season, but it's like a fairy tale, I suppose. Yeah. Out of that has come this investment or potential investment. Awful. I never keep seeing I keep downplaying it just in case it doesn't oh, happen I doesn't I mean, somebody I've not... seen a, a mate of mine in town today and he was like fucking can you believe we're the richest club in the not in, in, not you signed. know I was like it doesn't sign you know no but uh, uh, yeah, they, we haven't signed up I mean do you want to get because um, we're going to have to wrap up now yeah. do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about Pathminder magazine yeah sure um, it's the greatest just, resettlement magazine in the country isn't it just a quick one about obviously I, I got offered the job two and a half years ago and having a military and media background it was brilliant for me like so and keep me hand in but yeah it's a it's a resettlement magazine like you say but it's also aimed at veterans now we've kind of broadened our horizons because we've found that people's left the forces and they've done the resettlement stage but they're not still settled properly they yeah. might have just got a job as a stepping stone um, so we've opened it up to veterans as well because veterans these days are 26, 27 year olds exactly mate I they're mean, not the people, Chelsea pensioners that it, well that's what people think exactly you know, yeah, people and these think, guys are still looking for jobs they're still looking, maybe they might have got a job away from the home area just as a uh, to keep the money rolling then mm. type of thing so we're trying to cater for these guys as well um, so yeah, it's been going since 1991 is, so. is, there a, is there a way people can get the magazine yeah they go on go on pathfinderinternational.co.uk uh, there's facilities there where they can sign up or they can just send me an email. Um, What's your email? It's on the homepage at the moment. Oh, on the homepage. Right. Or just Google Pathfinder International Magazine. And we've also got an expo, uh, our fourth expo coming up. We set up an expo. Not that anybody watching might not want to go to Nottingham, but it's in Nottingham, but well, they, they well, might know somebody else. This has gone out worldwide, yeah. so, so I'm sure we'll have some fans in Nottingham. That's on the 3rd of October in Nottingham, so that's 3 to 10. Just go on Eventbrite and just search Pathfinder. Armed Forces Expo, and there's we've got 25 30 exhibitors there. Anybody from your forces pensions advice from the forces pension society, all the way through to looking for people recruiting for people as well. So rather than just be a jobs fair like it used to be, yeah, but other 
other other people had put put on these types of things. We wanted to make it like more of a military community event, so families are welcome as well. Brilliant. Um, obviously, spouses need jobs and that as well. When well, they, well when of they course. Leave, well, so they leave. Get they leave camp as well, don't they? Exactly. They, leave, they move around. They need that's a job. big thing that gets oh. overlooked. So, so yeah, that's on the third of October, and it's, like I said, it's free to attend. So, so like you've obviously you've featured. Uh, Veterans in Crisis in Pathfinder a few times. Yeah, we uh, put you on the was it the October Halloween special? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you are going to come and um, feature our opening dear, I am, quite, yes. which will be on Remembrance Day at um, the eleventh, the eleventh, nineteen at four pm. Uh, the Mayor of Sunderland is going to come and open our new building. Uh, I, I said it, I was opening that. No, no. I said you're gonna come along, and take some pictures. I was mate. getting the plaque done and everything. Yeah. Oh, I know you come along, and take some pictures. See if it's getting joke because it costs too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Right, we'll wrap it up there. And thank you very much, man. It's been an absolute welcome, pleasure. Man. And you're welcome anytime. Thank All you right. Very much. Cheers. Thanks, man. Cheers. Cheers.